to the Women and Money podcast, hosted by Fidelity International and This Is Money. I'm Micah Curry, Investment Director at Fidelity. And I'm Sarah Davidson, Knowledge and Product Editor at This Is Money. So, it's January. Everyone is eating kale, no one is drinking, and I miss pigs in blankets. And of course, cheese and chocolates. It's that time of year where everyone's got a New Year's resolution and everyone's got a new gym subscription. And if you're one of the 4.8 million plus people working for yourself in the UK today, it also means sorting out your tax returns, getting those expenses in order, and all the unglamorous bits of working for yourself. So Sarah, have you ever considered WFY? Now that's not WFH, working from home, although it does involve working from home, but rather working for yourself. Not an abbreviation I've ever come across, but um, we'll, oh, we we'll use work it with all it. the time. Yeah, it's, it's obviously because I'm so office based, so no, <laughs> no one where I work works from home. Um, yeah, I have considered it. Um, I think also being a journalist is one of those jobs that is very, very flexible. It lends itself to working for yourself. Being freelance is quite a normal thing in my line of work. Um, and, you know, the flexibility that that would afford me, the fact I could go to the gym in the morning when it's yeah. not, you know, and all you basically need is your laptop. Exactly. Um, and that flexibility definitely appeals. But then there's the kind of the flip side. And the reason that I've not done it is the, the, the kind of the scariness of not having that monthly guaranteed income. Um, so and then also I'm quite a sociable person. I like to be around people, have a chat in the office. Um, and I would I worry that I would get a bit lonely working from home mm-hmm. by myself. So. so lots of things you need to think about. And today our special guest, Faith Archer. Welcome, Faith. Thank you. Glad to be here. So Faith is a personal finance journalist and money blogger at Much More With Less. She has been working for herself for more than a decade now, and she's here to talk to us about the good, the bad, and the bits you don't always think about. So Faith, just a bit of background. You were employed, much like Sarah, uh, at a national newspaper, and then you decided to give up your full-time office job after your daughter was born. Now, the first thing I want to talk about is what Sarah mentioned, the regular income. I know it means not being a wage slave, but isn't that quite scary? Because the timing is quite interesting. You went freelance or decided to work for yourself back in 2008. And we all know what else happened back in 2008. It was the credit crunch, the financial crisis. Things were pretty dire, pretty scary time to set up shop on your own. It was not a great time. Now, I I thought I had prepared reasonably well. I actually went on maternity leave at the end of 2007. I was already doing a bit of freelance work on top of my day job, if you like. So I had a column about money and property once a week. I discussed with my boss on the paper about potentially doing a second column about motherhood and money. So it's like, right, I've got a couple of regular things locked down that I'll be able to pick up if after maternity leave I decide not to return to the full-time job. 2007, credit crunch hits. Now, I had started doing that um, money and property column, but it just, the advertising completely disappeared when the bottom dropped out Mm. of the property market. And I used to pitch three or four ideas at a time to come out each week. Yeah, I, they pulled the section, the whole section, you know, well, I, property I, market as well. I mean, that was that was the, the worst hit bit. Yeah, it just it at just that died. Stage. So this regular income 
work that I had, there was at least one piece I had to ring the case study and say, sorry, you're not appearing because that section doesn't exist. Um, and I think a lot of newspapers, when you have less advertising, you don't print so many pages and therefore there was less need for freelance mm -hmm. um, work supplementing yeah. it. Um, what I think it did encourage me to do was to think very seriously about how much I could rely on print journalism. And though I still I've got a regular um, column each month for Women and Home magazine, but it meant I then developed my blog much more as a different channel, um, a different way to reach people and a different way to supplement my income. So did you think, oh my word, what have I done? Or did you just think, I've got to think on my feet now and make some plans? I think it was a think on the think on the feet um, aspect because part of, for me, part of the decision to go self-employed um, was I really valued the flexibility. I just had my first child and I wanted to have a better work-life balance. I didn't want to spend a couple of hours each day commuting. And as a journalist, it wasn't like I was being paid megabucks. So looking at what I would earn going into the office and what I would be spending on childcare. <laughs> there wasn't much difference. And that's a key thing, though, for a lot of women when they have their first child and they look at the cost of childcare, they make the financial and emotional decision to give up work because they'll probably be spending most of their salary on childcare. And that's ridiculous. If you think in the UK, parents face some of the highest childcare costs in the world. It's a massive disincentive mm -hmm. to go back to work. So what about the whole flexibility issue? So you get flexibility, but then, as you say, you've got to think on your feet and all of a sudden you've got a lot of bosses. One of the uh, joys, shall we say, of self-employment is that just as you can't control what the income is going to be at the end of the month, you can't necessarily control when when the work is going to come in. So it can sound this lovely idea, you know, oh, I could go to the gym in the morning yeah. and I could go off and work from a beach as long as I've got my laptop on an internet connection. Um, the reality is that, for example, um, I used to get quite a lot of work over the summer because I guess that's when permanent staff would be going on holiday. But if that's the time when your children are not in school, yeah, that's <laughs> then it can be tricky, especially tricky to juggle. So um, it does mean that I can sometimes end up working quite weird times, you know, cramming stuff in during school hours and then, say, working early mornings at the weekends um, to make sure things get done. Do you think that that is a better work-life balance? In that case, that's what I was thinking because it kind of people sell it as this work life balance, but in fact, you might find yourself always saying yes to any work because you don't know when next you're going to get a, a commission, and then you find yourself working these strange hours. It can be tough. What it does mean, though, is that I can be there for the kids so I can do the school run if I want to go to sports day or the school performance or parents' evening or if they're ill. I can cover that. And that was actually, um, that was, um, the whole illness thing was a component for me in not going back to the office job because I didn't have any uh, kind of support. It was all very well. If I set up nursery, great. Um, but if my kids were ill, I would have been the one who'd had to take time off to look after them. I didn't have anybody else who could step into the breach. So that mm -hmm. was one of my concerns because sadly with a newspaper, you can't say, oh, sorry, my kid's ill. Do you mind if we don't print tomorrow? 
that's very true. Very true. <laughs> Indeed. In the, in the case of a newspaper. But, you know, increasingly in the last 10 years, workplaces have also changed and they've become a lot more open to flexible working. WFH, Sarah, working <laughs> from home because they are losing so many people to self-employment because, you know, with the technology, the gig economy, millennials, it's just so much more appealing to work for yourself. Uh, thanks to technology. So why would you work for a company? So the company needs to step up and give employees greater flexibility. The changing workplace, well, do you think, you know, if you were in formal employment right now, it would have been easier to stay in formal employment? I think it does depend on the job and how much you are able to do that job from home. Um, And I think certainly... Organisations are becoming more flexible. I know my boss at the time was very supportive for the idea if I wanted to return, say, four days a week rather than five. Um, But I think there's the other element of self-employment. You know, for me, it's actually, it's huge fun that it's my own business, my own baby, my brand, my channel um, that I'm developing. Um, And you have a lot more control over the content of your work. Um, I think in any workplace, you know, that you'll have a certain amount of input into what you're writing about, but there will be times you just have to do what is needed or what somebody else wants you to do when somebody else wants you to do it. Um, Whereas I do have a lot more control and input over what I'm writing. And what about loneliness? What about being in the office, in your house alone, no one to chat to, no one to bounce ideas off? Does that ever get to you? I definitely miss the buzz of a newsroom sometimes um but i think it's i think well different individuals would need different input um so yes i think it helps uh if you want to be self-employed working from home if you can be more of a self-starter and less reliant on people around you um the other thing i have found is um linking up with other people in a similar situation so as uh for both um, journalists and money bloggers, I'm a member of Facebook groups that are very active. There are people that I have met through those. So I'm in contact with multiple people every day just through the internet. There's also there's a lot of um, kind of growing numbers of networks, networking groups, and specifically for women, but also for self-employed people. So I've I've heard that said that that's a really good thing to do to get into a routine where you are going and bouncing ideas off other people who do, you know, who run their own businesses. We, we're talking quite a lot about journalism um, and obviously because we both are. Um, but I, one, of the, one of the other things, considerations for working for yourself, I think it depends on what type of thing you're going to do. So if you're in a kind of provision of a service, um, that's not scalable. You know, there's only so many hours in your day that you can dedicate to delivering that service um, and also when you kind of get to the end of your career and you're retiring I, I would question like you can't sell that service do you know what I mean because it's it's you so there's no you're not building up value into a business so my question really is or are you and can you do that is that is that something that you've considered you know what happens later on it's something I've considered, and I think it's anybody anybody who is starting up a business has to make decisions at some point about whether you keep it to something that you can manage yourself yeah. 
or do you take the step and then for example if it's a service business start employing other people to carry on that that service and it's certainly something that I'm wrestling with at the moment um, because I think at the very beginning you know in the midst of the credit crunch I was trying to run everything on a shoestring and now I've reached a certain point and I'm kind of thinking right do I need to start employing people to do the parts of the business where I need that where I don't have that expertise yeah um, should I be bringing in other resource because there's only one of me and there's only 24 hours in a day and that then that raises a whole load of other questions so we've not really talked about kind of when you work for yourself you need to be good at doing the thing that you're doing and good at managing yourself and your time and good at doing your accounts um, and all of these things that you don't have to do when you've got the infrastructure of a workplace around you, you just focused on your job. Mm. You, how, how have you found that kind of having to do multiple roles? I think part of, partly for me, that is part of the excitement of it being my own business so that I'm not just doing the writing. You also got to be your own accounts department, whether that's organising the finances or chasing the invoices. I've got to do my own advertising and marketing and network and contracts and legal and IT. You know, all the joys of that. <laughs> Fix the photocopier yourself. <laughs> yeah, exactly. There's, there's nobody you can ring when you're saying, oh my God, my website's crashed or I have no idea. I need to be transferring to a different place. And that's where the networking groups are immensely helpful if you can find one with people from a variety of different backgrounds because that's absolutely the place where I can chuck up questions I have no clue about this and get help from other people but then equally they will chuck up questions in areas that I know about and can help with and what about these flexible working spaces that we've seen pop up in in the last few years the kind of we work spaces that people go to because they want that human interaction and want to use whether it's the coffee machine or the photocopier they want that interaction have you ever used any of those spaces or considered using them what are kind of the pros and cons I think the pros are if you do want that sense of community the people around you and um some of the facilities perhaps if you needed to meet people wanted to have an office address for people to come to i think for me personally it's come down to i do have space in my own home and i have invested in some of the bit you know you can have your own coffee machine and your, your own printer copy of that kind of thing i've chosen i i chose to 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 work from home and not to spend the money on, uh, on having separate office space. So talking about not spending money, tell us a bit more about your blog, Much More With Less. In terms of the running costs or what, what I do what, with it? What or? is it about? And what, what is it about? Cover? Okay, uh, Much More With Less. It's about moving to the country, living on less and making the most of it. And so I will cover a very wide range of money issues, everything from frugal food and budget activities with kids at one end, right through to making the most of your money by earning more, um, and things, pensions, investments and tax. Okay, so on that, let's get into the thorny issue of pensions. So Fidelity did do some research into self-employment, and we found that while most women, 96%, choose self-employment to feel, much like yourself, more in control of their working lives, many don't feel as confident about their financial future. And more than two-thirds, 71% of self-employed women, say they do not have any form of pension. What did you do in terms of your pension? Because obviously when you left formal employment, you were giving up the benefits of a workplace pension, those employer contributions, which are essentially free money. I think I was aware of 
uh, and concerned about giving up a pension. My mother was self-employed, so I had that the role model of somebody who'd been through that and not paid into her own um, pension and therefore been in a very different situation from my father who had a public sector pension. Um, so I was very aware of that. One of the things I did do while I was still in employment was I actually, and before children, was I actually bumped up my pension contributions. I did additional voluntary contributions to try and maximize my pension while I was there. Um, the other thing I did um, when I was first on maternity leave in the early days of self-employment, when I was earning very little, um, was I'd had the discussion with my husband. We'd made the call that he would continue in a full-time role. I would go freelance so I could do more of the childcare. And so we acknowledged the fact that meant that I would not be having a workplace um, scheme. There wouldn't be part of a salary going in and employer contributions. So one of the first calls on my freelance income was going into a pension because even if you don't earn enough to pay tax, you can still pay £2,880 a year into a pension and government will add 720 quid. Mm-hmm. Um, so I kept, I had a stakeholder pension, a private pension um, from way back when I first started work and just carried on shoving money in that. I think like many self-employed people, I was probably reluctant to sign up for regular payments because when your income is erratic, you don't necessarily want to be adding yet more regular bills. Um, So one thing I still do today actually is as you're coming to the end of January and I'm filling in my tax return, I've got a much better sense about how big my tax bill is going to be and a sense of what my income has been you know, from since the end of the last tax year. And so I tend to put in a chunk of money at that stage. So it may not be going in every month, but I'm still thinking about it and I do do pay in. So it does mean you've got to be quite disciplined about putting something aside each month and not dipping into that because obviously your income is quite lumpy if you're working for yourself or if you freelance by definition. So you could probably make a lot of money over the summer when you're getting lots of commissions and covering and then it goes quiet and you've got to kind of put something away every month to eventually make that contribution into your pension. So how do you do it? Do you kind of put some money into an account which you don't touch and then when it comes to January self-assessment and sorting out your tax affairs, you've got an idea and you've got a, a, a bit of a saving spot that you can dip into and, and contribute into your pension? I think there's a few things I do to cope with the irregular income and still have mm-hmm. money to save. Um, one of them is um, I always keep several thousand pounds in my current account. I don't run it right down to my overdraft to make sure there is always money there if direct debits are going out but I haven't been paid or I've been paid late. Um, I also, we've just set up a regular saver account every January, the kind of account where you get slightly higher interest on your cash savings um, by committing to pay a regular amount every month. So keep that in cash and that should be, the year's money is just about due and that's going to take the edge off my tax bill. Um, I think it is very important not to budget on your best month. Okay. (laughs) You know, if you're thinking about what you can spend... Uh, there's there's kind of the essential bills that you have to cover but then I think I can sometimes be reluctant to do those those big um, discretionary expenses things like a holiday you know things like they kind of hold back mm-hmm. and so the money um, will build up in a, a cash account until I can then make the call right does that go into my pension does that need to pay bills or can I actually put that into some other form of investment because I might need it 
I might not need it right now, but I might need it earlier than a pension. And how often do you make those sorts of decisions? Is that something that you do annually or is it something that you do monthly or six monthly? How, how, how often is, or is it just, like you know, really oh, when you remember? I, I think it's, I think it's quite ad hoc. I not you know, I, I'm not as regular as reviewing it once a month. I think the tax return time is a big one. Yeah. And also I use um, a budgeting app on my phone where I can see what my balances are. And so every so often, if I can see that money is building up, um, then I will think, oh, right, okay, I've probably, we probably have got enough leeway that I can make some of that money work harder. There's also, um, I know we've, we're talking about kind of saving and, and investing and saving money for retirement, but there's also um, the implications that going self-employed will have if you have a mortgage or want a mortgage. Have you gone through the process of applying for a mortgage with self-employed income? And how did you find that? You know, actually, I very consciously made the decision to apply for mortgages while I was employed um, rather than self-employed. So I've been through this a couple of times. Um, we, my husband and I actually moved in 2007 while I was pregnant. Um, we'd made, I mean, that was something that had been in discussion for a long time. Um, but there was an element when I got pregnant, I think, right, okay, now, now is the time. Let's sell, let's um, buy somewhere um, while I'm employed, while we're both employed, while we've both got all the evidence. But one thing we very consciously did was we did not take out the maximum mortgage. Okay. I think we, I mean, we were, I suppose it was a very fortunate position that we had a choice there, mm-hmm. um, but we borrowed less money. Um, so there was the sense that I would have the freedom to choose do I go back to a full-time role? Do I go self-employed? Because I would not be forced to go back to my regular job because of um, Being the size of the mortgage payment. to your eyeballs. So I guess the, the message here is to be quite engaged with your finances, especially your pension. Think about the mortgage implications, but also to invest, right? You have to think about how you use the money you make more wisely. And you and I have spoken about this before. You were in a cash ISA previously, but consciously made the decision to move to stocks and shares to get better returns. Um, I did. I think it's, you know, what we've been talking about, being quite cautious about locking money away. Um, And I was somebody who'd written about investing, but I was concerned about the risks. You know, I'd written all the warnings. Don't invest money you can't afford to lose. Don't invest money. Um, You know, your balance may go down as well as up. Um, And I think the turning point for me was looking at my cash ISA, thinking, you know what, I'm viewing that as for retirement. That is way more than five years ahead therefore it makes sense to invest and so I did I think in 2015 put the whole lot invested the whole lot 28 grand and I think it is worth now nearly half as much again it's been a good run I've been Mm -hmm. lucky so we've talked a lot about kind of you know why why you wanted to go self-employed for the flexibility what about the the practical nitty-gritty of actually filing your tax return I think the big thing to remember is that you are no longer paid with tax taken off you are responsible for paying your own income tax and national insurance contribution. So once you're earning more than £1,000 a year, you do actually have to fess up to the inland revenue to HMRC. Um, But it doesn't have to be so hard if you keep records of the money coming in also keep records of any allowable expenses i actually use an app called um one tap receipts take photos of my my receipts um because they are worth money to you every a pound in expenses is 
20p off your tax bill. And you can also, I take advantage of the easy routes. I don't have a massive business. So for example, I'm registered as a sole trader rather than a limited company. I use cash basis for my accounts. So it just reflects when I'm actually paid and I actually pay expenses. So you can take those from bank statements. And there are also things that can help you like simplified expenses, um, depending on how many hours a week you work from home rather than having to allocate bills. So uh, although an accountant can be a brilliant thing to help cut your tax bill, certainly in the early days, it can be very manageable. So the key thing is be engaged and a lot of practical points that you need to think about. It's not a decision you make lightly. You've got to get all your ducks in a row, all your financial planning in a row. But it, Final question. If you could turn the clock back, would you do it again? Yes. Okay. Well, that convinced me. Thanks so much, Faith. So many practical points in there. Um, and it really is about more than just going to work in your slippers. Thanks for joining us and thanks for sharing your story. That's it from me. And from me. Thanks so much for joining us, Faith. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the Women and Money podcast, which will be appearing every month on Fidelity and This Is Money's webpage. Subscribe to iTunes to get the podcast downloaded directly to your devices every month. For more information on how women can unlock their financial power, visit the Women and Money page at fidelity.co.uk. Please be aware this information does not constitute investment advice and should not be used as the basis for any investment decision, nor should it be treated as a recommendation. You would not normally be able to access money held in a pension until the age of 55. Five.